0: that's so much better
1: <laughs> it's better it's still that's not perfect. perfect i did that in two seconds just to make it a little I bit better was,
0: <laughs> in the future replace my background with the cartoon nice uh like with 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 the you know imagery of the intro it seems a little more you know flighty a little nicer. right yeah right so
1: so hello everybody i'm isabella kaminska and yeah. uh, as usual i'm joined by john hello john how are you
0: very well how are you
1: I'm good, I'm good. Up there think in we... the
0: snowy Alps. You, you are in Davos as we speak. As you can see, you're actually recording outside.
1: That's right, that's yeah. right. On, on on the French side. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, I always feel like, I, I said this to you earlier, but Europeans always have a lot more fun than Americans. I, I feel like you guys are like five minutes from everywhere. So you just kind of like, ah, I feel like going skiing today. And you're like, I'm going to fly to Sweden.
1: It is true. I've always... Felt sorry for people who live in New York because getting out of New York seems a bit of a mission. You can only just just a train,
0: just a train. You just go down to the the Penn Station or whatever, and then you buy a ticket to like New Hampshire.
1: Yeah, but that's that's literally the only place you can go. Like, where else can you really go? Boston,
0: Providence, Rhode Island,
1: Connecticut. It's not the same diversity of options as like getting on a plane and being within an hour or two in any european capital like there's a lot more diversity for new, for
0: new years we actually ended up in pennsylvania and we got stuck because all the airplanes are going down here oh yeah and so JetBlue canceled our flight because apparently the crew had timed out i'm not a flight guy but that, that apparently happened so they canceled our flight we knew about it like an hour before we had to leave they were offering like no uh no refunds nothing and uh, and so I got I got on the phone with them and we they got me a flight out of New York so I just bought a, a train ticket and I was in New York in like an hour and a half.
1: Excellent. Well, listen, really- the feedback from everybody is. Is small talk like this sucks, Josh. No? <laughs> no I'm just joking. <laughs> um, but- <laughs> that's, that's,
0: that's mainly what I'm good at. So, like, just, no, I know. Great. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm just joking. Anyway, let's crack on, though, because we're going to be discussing the World Economic Forum. Like, yes, I try not to talk about it, but, and I wasn't meaning this really... Is your
0: favorite subject.
1: It is a little bit. Well, it's it not. I've not fallen into covering it, and I really don't like the way it comes up every January, everyone gets obsessed with it, but um, I end up doing stuff on it. And and I guess the reason we've revived the topic again is because I kind of got roped, not roped, that's not a fair way of saying, it, but I ended up doing I'd partnering up with uh, Michael Schellenberger on a piece about WEF. And um, it, was, it, it went kind of viral because it got over 7 million views on Twitter because Michael is obviously involved in um, the Twitter the files, Twitter files yeah. and seems to have the ear of, of a certain dude, I don't know what his name is, Michel- uh, who Dimashk. has a few followers on Twitter. <laughs> so he he started responding uh, to Michael's very good um, Twitter thread about it. And, uh, and yeah, so suddenly like loads of people um, are aware of me a little bit more than they were. I had to set up a Substack uh, because Michael writes on Substack and um, I had to set up a pro- profile, but I'm not on Substack. And yet I've, people are signing up to my Substack, which is not as I've put it very clearly. I don't have a Substack. So don't join me on Substack. I don't write on Substack. I write on my own on my own blog, the dash blindspot.com. Very confusing because of the dash, but sadly the blindspot.com was taken due to I, I guess some sort of blind company owns it. One day it'll be mine. But for now, I'm not on Substack. I'm on the blind spot, but I do have a newsletter, so free one. Do sign up for that. Um, but it was really fun. And Elon did like answer he, he made some very funny comments. Um amongst them that uh well he put up a poll today, I think, as well, about whether the World Economic Forum should control the world.
0: Uh, that was a couple of days ago, but yeah, like there's a lot of answers on it too. Like no, I it was, was it today <laughs> I by the way I, I knew think knew. Isabella you, you can use Substack for the website the main domain of it and, and also all that Substack does is manages the subscription stuff
1: no so this is actually it can do that now but um, when I was Mm, deciding to go into independent they were really reluctant to do white labeling of this sort so i was
0: very weiss is white labeled i think she
1: is there but they yeah. you see at the time i was talking to them about it and they were very much oh no no we really discourage it we don't really want to do it, it we find it doesn't work that well and i was like well i i don't really want to have a substack url and and i said to them i would you be doing would it be possible to just do like, are you offering any white labeling options and and because it would be quite good to have it have it be powered by Substack by the time they weren't so keen uh so I went with WordPress and now I'm all set up there but in the interim they've Perfect. now clearly and and Michael Schellenberger has also just launched public so he's now but although I'm, I'm not sure if that's on a white label or not I'm, anyway but the um the point is that you can do it now which is a bit annoying but
0: but oh, it's WordPress fine. It's
1: got all thing. the same functionality, and they don't. And I think it's a little cost more cost effective the way I've I've done it.
0: Well, the, my guess is that Substack will probably also have a plugin to WordPress at some point. They might even already do it, so that you could manage uh, WordPress or subscriptions there. Then they don't yet, but they they, they probably will. They will. I
1: guess yeah, because eventually they're gonna have to like. I, I would imagine so. But anyway, uh, hopefully next week, I did ask Michael if he would come on our show that has next to no followers. Hi. Hi, all 10 followers. <laughs> Small but discerning audience. Um, hopefully he'll come on next week. But we won't talk about WEF next week if he comes on. If Michael comes on, I think it'd be really good to talk, because you know he's a he's big into Nordhaus and the Green Revolution, and he writes about renewables, and he's been doing a lot of stuff on um, the, how the uh, organic thing killed Sri Lanka. So we can talk about like much more than just whether WEF is a grift. Um, so I think we'll focus on, on WEF and corporatism. I also thought it'd be cool to talk about the BOJ, um, because that's a big story. Um, so that's where we're gonna focus on today. Josh, what is your key question?
0: Well, I mean, I know that you love uh, the Davos stuff, so you like watching it. And I think the I think the central question, uh, the sort of uh, the sort of transgressive question on both sides is: Does WEF even matter? No, and that's the big story this week. So that's, so that's what our... I think too. By the way, I think I think that it doesn't matter, and that like all of this fear of like what they're doing. I think that they are. I think that they are completely powerless, and all they do when they go to Davos is show how stupid they are.
1: So I think this is the big story, and I, I want this podcast to be information rich as well as just a bit of a a gab fest. So the big everyone is saying for the first time, I think for a while, that this is the death of Davos because this this year's t- conference isn't that well attended. A lot of G seven um, leaders have snubbed it. Uh, Olaf Scholz. Schultz, the German um, uh, Chancellor is one of the few to attend um, I think Zelensky's wife has been there but other than the, other than that it's been pretty light on the ground uh, Davos claims, well the WEF claim that um, it's one of the most I think they've got the most delegates ever but it's the quality of the delegates that matters and I've been thinking about this um... Hi Praxis nice to see you, thanks for coming <laughs> Um so he, now I'm just I'm interacting with with our with our dear
0: viewers. Our, our viewer, oh, okay, okay.
1: Yeah. I'm getting used to when we actually go paid subscription, whatever. <laughs> what, what do you call it? Super chat. <laughs> it's free for now. But yes, yeah, so um I think this is a really big story because there are three fundamental uh issues with with the forum. One is the fact that Klaus Schwab, who created the forum in 1971, um, is 171. It, he is 171. <laughs> he was- <laughs> <laughs> it's a coincidence! He happens <laughs> to also be 171, which means he's um, he's looking to his succession. But there is a r- massive sort of um, question mark over the succession because it's so intimately connected with Klaus that the power struggles. Um, it's it's very much like the fall of rome if, if when when um when he when he passes away if and when uh and he may be like he's he's i think he's 84 i'm going to double check fact check how old is he klaus
0: well, you're, this, you said something this week that blew my mind what? you probably don't know this you gave me the figure of how much revenue the wef makes oh yeah i can't believe it's that low
1: oh really interesting well yeah. it's like twitter it's very similar to Twitter, actually. So they do make money, um, but a lot of the, the money they make is absorbed on, on, on the sort of privileged cabal that run um, WeF in terms of their expenses. Um, we don't know. Um, I mean, the, the, so we we found out that the average partnership is now about between 120,000 francs and 850,000 francs, which is roughly the same in dollars. So just under a million dollars to be a member. Membership doesn't guarantee you anything, um, but I suspect it gives you some influence over whether or not you will be in a uh, panel. The forum's uh, spokespeople denied that it buys you a right on a panel. So what are you really getting for that money? Um, There's no sponsorship at the forum. It's entirely neutral, but of course, if you are at the forum, um, you will have peripheral um, advertising in your in your vision because immediately outside the conference, there is private. It's an entire free for all. Anyone can set up shop and put up banners or whatever. So um, advertising is everywhere. But in the in the actual in a sanctum, there is no advertising. Um, so you're literally just getting access into, it's it's a corporate access sort of model where corporates will pay for access to politicians who mostly don't pay. And Klaus creates a sort of clearing system between all of these, and it's supposed to be neutral ground. And in 1971, when they set themselves up, the mandate was very clear. It was about um, being a neutral platform that facilitated, um, you know, communication and exchange of views and it was very much focused on economic processes managerial like all the managerial um administration stuff that klaus had learned at harvard and he was importing it to the into into europe um and the mission was about including as much you know being very inclusive and it was very inclusive for a long time and i think the best analogy for the forum as well as uh, being a blockchain as i've said before is actually that it was the first incarnation of twitter because it was a platform a neutral platform where anyone could go um and klaus provided this neutrality um factor but of course over time as with as with twitter the influence you know if that something's neutral you immediately want to influence it and the higher the caliber of people attending, the bigger the dividends and rewards from subtly influencing it. So Klaus, Klaus, on the other hand, has always been very committed to maintaining a dialogue with almost everyone. And that's why in the last five years or so, you've seen everyone at Davos from Vladimir Putin to Xi Jinping to J. Bolsonaro, even like controversial figures like justin trudeau so <laughs> yeah. um, so he's very open if he passes away soon i guess i should so i just threw a comment <laughs> yeah that's right he's not gonna live forever <laughs> I, I doubt he's gonna live forever if it's he you made it funny <laughs> oh somebody's somebody says you look ill that's not no, yeah because
0: i'm like like see look
1: you look alive you look yeah, back but you're a little bit you look a bit peaky. So um so it started off like Twitter, neutral, wanting to improve relations, um, you know, communications between everyone. And in fact, one of Klaus's early investments was in investments was in um, a big tele teleconferencing system, which he then ended up selling to publicists. I believe it was. And that's how the Schwab Foundation got its original endowment because at the time he got a lot of heat for doing for-profit investments with uh with the with the forum's money. The Wall Street Journal I think was ran a big story about it. And um, and the criticism prompted the found, the founding of the of the Schwab Foundation which now supports all sorts of good causes, right? But what sh- what we were trying to get to the bottom of was how, you know, the, the little bit of money that they do have how do they do you, invest do you it?
0: like klaus is he like a, a guy you kind of respect or is he is he a crazy like power hungry weirdo
1: so a lot has been made of his german heritage yeah, and like, like I my mean, he, father all may all have the, what
0: the german pizza do people do have a, a history of... well a
1: lot has been a lot has been made of this history josh but no. I don't think that's fair because I, I think it's rare to find a German who doesn't have a connection to you-know-who, uh, <laughs> the N-word. <laughs> I mean, Midler. at the time, like quite a few of them were Nazis, right? So oh. um, it's about how how high the ranking, you know, how high in the ranking they were that really matters. And even then, I don't think it's fair to judge the children by, you know, the actions of of their parents in what was clearly a massive sort of delusion like not a delusion but like you know obviously a some sort of psychological psychological episode on a mass formation basis right so i don't i don't think it's fair i think the nazi stuff is is kind of irrelevant and you should park it in a different camp like if you want to make if you want to critique wef it's important to to make serious criticisms of it and i don't think that's a serious one I think I think
0: you're right. And by the way, uh, Cardinal uh, Ratzinger, uh, former Pope Benedict, had a similar problem. Um, he was highly respected um, in the church, and you know the, the main critique is that he, as an old guy, he was part of the Nazi youth. Like okay, you know, like everybody in Germany at that time. So yeah, I think I think you're right. So divorcing the critique of Nazi uh, Nazi connections that everyone likes to um, throw out against klaus klaus uh what what do you think of him otherwise like is he because so I, think... I have i have a weird impression of him you know like he's he's a weird seeming dude
1: so i have That's met true. him
0: because he interviewed me
1: i i think i've told this story before um i was approached to join them to run their internal blog and i you, you know been was...
0: writing own oh, nothing and be happy.
1: Well, actually, that story came out of what would have been the thing that I was managing, but that's but it was also, a guess, sub- submission by um, a Danish MP, I believe it was, and I think this is. You see, the, I I see it as them being incredibly naive about how the internet works, and this is based on my own experience, which is that they were starting a blog, they wanted to be super engaging, and they were they wanted to emulate. Um, you know, like Alphaville to some degree, where I used to work at EFT. So some person <laughs> writes, oh, we... happy. They're huh?
0: Like, Let's put it up. Let's see. Maybe it's an interesting thing. And they put it up. No, no, but and then seriously, they, this is really everyone serious. points but... at them and says they said it. And they go, we didn't say that. We didn't say that. was like, it's on your blog. No, but it, this is... Exactly, exactly. So so this is all
1: about incompetence and own, public relations own, goal, own goals. Because what I realized very early on is, and this is why I didn't join them, is because they wanted all this freedom and they wanted to put challenging content up and they really wanted it to be engaging, but it soon became clear that to put anything up on the website and that was in any shape or form um, exciting, it had to be signed off about like through like thousands Is of people, but the all impression
0: play, that they were trying to like, they were allowing a conversation to happen on the site. Then that was the goal <laughs> was like, they, they were just kind of throwing it up there and be like, here's an idea from a world leader, like discuss, well, not only that, so A, anything original, it became
1: clear I would have no voice on it because my voice was like, it wasn't about my voice. The voices of the members were more important than the voices of the blogging staff, right? The blogging staff were just administrators and, and therefore anything in our voice would have to be signed off by about a committee of about a thousand people and bureaucrats, right? Um, but also what would, be, what would trump our voice would be a submission from like a head of state or whatever right and we would we would have very little power to 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 say no we don't want that because there was a hierarchy of of um of influence in the system and the blog was going to reflect that so when a Danish MP puts up uh, a, a thing that she thinks is going to be delightful and, and exciting and, and and I would imagine it's a sort of gross naivety that they think oh, this is like pushing, you know, you know, the FT will, would put something like this up and it wouldn't get any bite back. But um, that's what happened. And I think- It would be,
0: it would be labeled on the FT as uh, editorial. It would be some person's like- Yeah, and letter.
1: it would be an op-ed. Whereas I think there was a confusing, like people would didn't, don't really understand the purpose of the WEF blog. Is it supposed to be a news platform? Is it supposed to be like a project syndicate with four pieces? Because it's all kind of mer content and nobody- so it doesn't know its place. And this is where the confusion and the PR confusion has come from, in my opinion. And so when they took it down and Michael Schellenberger was right, I think to point out that this distraction story they've created to um, explain themselves, that actually it was, um, you know, some 4chan uh, platform um, turned it into a conspiracy um, this well, that was a nonsense too because the content was real, it was really genuinely put up on the website. It
0: was there. It was very fucked up. <laughs> the fact
1: that 4chan put, picked it up, I mean, that's a different thing, but it didn't, wasn't sourced from 4chan, like the spin was sourced. But frankly, all, all they did was they amplified some content that was provocative and naturally going to upset people because people don't like the idea of being told. They can't own anything and maybe that sort of ideology passes in elite circles because they've got so much that the idea of owning nothing is kind of quite liberating well, but i, I think, it's, I, think it's more nothing... than
0: that. I think it's more than that isabella like okay I, i'm seeing some chats here so uh maddie M says maybe klaus maybe klaus uh Lauding's a chinese model of control might worry some people and uh yeah i don't know what he said about uh, uh chinese authoritarianism but when i read own nothing and be happy. I personally uh, live my life that way. It's, it's a very appealing and good way to live your life. You should own nothing. There's almost nothing you should. And the reason you shouldn't own anything is actually very simple. It's because everything has a depreciation curve. So if you can amortize the depreciation curve, rather than taking the risk on yourself, you can, you can have someone else take on the risk of the ownership and you can amortize the depreciation curve and basically pay for the depreciation you win that's how you get rich that's how you stay yeah. rich so yeah. like that's and actually I, a really good concept but i i refuse to be told i can't own anything
1: and that's the problem and not only that you're in a position where you can see the luxury the benefit of not owning anything because there comes a point when you like you've got you know assets like houses can be a burden on you like oh my god the roof is leaking this and that sometimes like the idea and of my third house leaking.
0: the roof is leaking and in my second house the toilets are all broken
1: exactly jesus christ so annoying
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean I'll give, I'll give you a good example this week i mean i was thinking about like we we're doing talking about vacations i do amortize my toilets thank you man I, <laughs> I, I, I have it on i have it on a spreadsheet i give five cents a paycheck to my toilet um i uh i, I was thinking about it you know I've, I've thought a lot about buying like an rv for me and my wife, we just get in the RV, we can go anywhere, we can camp. And it just seemed like a really good idea. And, you know, I'd probably use it two, maybe three times a year for some, you know, fun. And uh, it's going to cost me, you know, between 50 and $90,000 and whatever, and you know, whatever. So this was, this is a thing I thought. And then like, I find a site that like actually lets you rent really nice RVs for, I don't know, maybe 500 to a thousand dollars a week. And I was like, "Why would I buy an RV if I can do that? I'm going to use it three times a year. I'm going to pay three thousand bucks versus like whatever yeah, I'm going to have to pay for
1: About what people do in their RVs, maybe. Well, Isabel, I don't think <laughs> about
0: those things. When I read. <laughs> yeah, winsome own own you own your own Bitcoin. Yeah, Winsome. I think that the point is that like the, you, the only thing that you can really own that matters is your is the value that you hold, right? I don't want to rent Bitcoin. That's not something, but like Bitcoin or dollars or whatever it is that you have that is your medium of exchange allows you to own nothing except money and be happy. And if you, again, like that, like, like I said, this is how you get rich is literally trying to own nothing. And the nothing part is hyperbolic because you own the money, right? And be happy. That's how you get rich. This yeah so you
1: like, well this is what Elon is doing like Elon has um, famously said that you know ownership of assets is a vector for of attack or something i can't remember um and he rents everything right he doesn't own any houses or anything there's, no there's no reason
0: to for that like um, unless you are building a giant portion of your portfolio as a real estate empire and you have that risk hedged out and understood like there's no reason to do it
1: so um, yeah, exactly. So, but the problem is with that messaging is that if you are if you have nothing and you are genuinely very poor, you can't you can't accelerate people through the wealth curve. I once did a um, a post years and years ago on AlphaVille. I called it the the evolution of the wealth curve. And and the principle is that the richer you are, the more inclined you are towards philanthropy and wearing Fruit of the Loom T-shirts because assets like, there's only so many luxuries, you know, dinners you can have. And after a while, so it's the nouveau riche that really spend their money um and then generational for, perfect generational wealth like the old money doesn't and this is very clear in switzerland because in switzerland you can really differentiate the nouveau riche from the from the old money and the old money is very um you know it, it doesn't flash its cash it usually you know they're very um humble in how they you know dress and you know, it's there's there's not lots sort of brash
0: attitude. it's actually interesting I, I think that there is something to be said for kind of going through the wealth curve because like, I think when you're poor, you own everything that you have everything, right? Uh Your car, you want to, you're, you're probably kind of renting it because you're paying it off, but like everything you have, like you're buying middle class, you start owning a little bit less. I think the wealthy don't own a lot, like as, as a relative portion of their value, right? For the most part, they're renting most of their stuff. I think that just ends up being what, what is true. So a message like this, like own nothing and be happy is in fact something that like, a rich person would conclude
1: see this. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think so that that's why the, the, the piece was naive. And yes, Elon
0: isn't a role model for appropriate capital allocation. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right. I think holding a majority of your wealth in Twitter accidentally after a court nearly like forces you to do it is not, is not a great, uh, a great capital allocation strategy, but I'm no Dave Ramsey.
1: Look, I think, um, I think fundamentally it was a naive post. And I and yes, it was hijacked by a certain demographic that wanted to embarrass the WEF and it succeeded. And then but the error they made is they took it down, right? And they took it down without leaving any explanation for why they took it down, which is just schoolboy error. Like if you take down... A previously published piece in a newspaper it just looks wrong at a minimum you have to say we took this down for because of legal risk or we took it down because we don't agree with it anymore or you have to leave a note but if you go to the old URL at the web uh, website it's just like a 404 error or whatever um, and that that was wrong and of course because they took it down and I know <laughs> the reason they took it down is because the MP was being trolled and abused and harassed on Twitter um so they did it to try and stop the harassment but i think that um and that's fair enough i can see why they wanted to do that and they did that from a protective standpoint but the they created the streisand effect and 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 now it's like notorious and sadly even if um you know the, the irony is they didn't take it down because they were embarrassed of the content i don't think they distance themselves from the content. It's just that they were trying to protect the, uh, the MP.
0: What level what level of conspiracy is there here? Because like, like, you know, the thing is, I think the thing that people worry about is the idea that these like rich people, these elitists, they're not just elites, but the elitists go to a place like Davos. They talk and then a bunch of them go back to their home countries and start implementing policies or like advocating policies like shareholder capitalism, uh, which right. is idiotic, uh, back in their country, and it always happens like they go to they go in January, they uh, their wee wee's get really hard about these concepts, and then they come back to America, and then you know the CEO of like I don't know Salesforce starts talking about it in February as if like his brain has fallen out of his head, you know. So like w- like what level of conspiracy is there, and is that just like? Is that just a display of weak-mindedness by elitists? Or what's the deal?
1: I think the whole thing has mutated over time. And I think it's now very um, removed from the core values, which were focused around sort of, like I said, this this idea of improving the state of the world, encouraging collaboration consensus, and moving all different sorts of parties to uh, the economic... um, Sort of equilibrium right it was a neoliberal model because i guess class was influenced by harvard and and it was a technocratic neoliberal model right and the idea was we can through the market mechanism by enforcing the market mechanism all sorts of people we can bring about and improve the state of the state of the world Um, And we can achieve all the other like all the bits that the market mechanism doesn't solve. We can we can get around them through consensus formation and and achieving new norms. Right. But Klaus was very, very specific in the Davos manifesto. It was supposed to be neutral. So all stakeholders were supposed to be granted access. And this is really important um, because I think what's happened over time is that the externalities of pushing neoliberalism everywhere started to bite back on them. And their response was, well, we've got to do something about it. ESG was born out of that paranoia. It's like, oh, we're not the good citizens we thought we were. There's something weird going on with like, pushing new, like market mechanism on everybody and trying to force it. There are these externalities associated with putting profits before um, people, right? ESG then came to the table, but rather than actually solve these problems, they didn't want to give up on the neoliberal side of it so they ended up pushing non-profit objectives through the market so that's the point of ESG ESG isn't just about abandoning the for-profit principle it's about telling people that you can achieve profit <laughs> if you do these noble things because it'll come back you know in the long term it'll all benefit your your portfolio right and so there is this sort of—I um, mean—it's very similar to crypto. It's like don't believe. Like there is no logical for-profit reason to buy this token. There's no logical for you know for-profit reason to buy this ESG stock right now. It's not making any money. But if you hold it for long enough, it will return, right? And in the meantime, if why? we get enough why would it, people, why would return? if we get enough people to move into it, we'll have a capital return until profitability. But that's is not easy. how that
0: works. <laughs> that's just not how, that's not how, that's not how capital allocation works
1: no but that's that's the esg that's how it works is that you it's a pump and davos became as a result of that but, like but it, uh,
0: isabella it's it's fun it's fundamentally illiberal right and it's it's problematic because like that like it, it is a pump right it which is a very pump. different than crypto but it's a it's a, but, pump but, but like but a very people... point
1: here um josh is that um it's not just the tech it's not just the fact that they were pushing neoliberalism the neoliberalistic model that they were forwarding was actually advancing technoc- technocratic bureaucracy so the system elevated bureaucrats and technocrats and therefore it was always skewed when it went to the ESG system to favoring goals that satisfied and rewarded bureaucrats because bureaucrats don't vote for non-bureaucratic outcomes, right? They want more rents and they want more, uh, you know, they want more stuff that rewards their bureaucracy, right? And that's the fundamental. And that's where the authoritarianism comes in because you're not listening to any electorate um, or any feedback other than the right, corporate. But,
0: but I want to say about ESG real quick is like what, what seems to be illiberal about it in particular and also non-neutral. Is it is the acceptance of a number of premises that are not are are not prima facie true right am i using all those words correctly they're not not english so um no i'm not <laughs> they're not but they're not they're not true like they, they they aren't fundamentally true they're not on their face true right and uh and and like to me that that seems highly illiberal it seems anti-scientific it seems highly problematic from an academic standpoint um you know, it, it, it accepts all of these very problematic worldviews that just I don't think that they are absolute, like absolutes. So, you know, one of the things I think is is important to believe is like where does the value of a stock come from? Well, it can come from a pump, but that's temporary. Where the value of a stock is long term is the belief in future cash flows, right? The the net present value of future cash flows. And I yeah. think mathematically, that is true. That is what the value of a, a stock is and will always be. So if you believe that you can get stocks to go up just by getting people in, it's it it comes with this other side of the belief that you will sell at the top and dump yeah. on those people that don't believe that stocks are uh, the net present but value of future That's cash why flows. it's
1: a grift. That's why it's a grift because you're selling – the idea that if you invest in this, there's going to be positive outcomes from for everybody, but actually, we the chances are there won't be, and the early adopters of you know whatever portfolio will be the winners. So that's why I liken it to a lot of the crypto stuff, because it really um, it really emulates it, and they're hoping that by the time people realize it's a pump, that there will have been enough um, capital allocated to that concept or whatever it is to have uh, forwarded it to profitability. Tesla yeah, is a not great how profitability
0: example. works. It's just huh? the whole, it's like no, the, no, no 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 no
1: Josh I disagree because Tesla is example of that. Tesla needed like 10 years of like sub subpar you know well not negative revenues effectively what was it pre not pre revenue but like pre profit environment um
0: to to and, and really... accounting scams
1: and accounting, sound, all sorts of grifting, yeah. <laughs> until it the reached the sort of, of a scale. City from
0: one's own cousin,
1: right? But it, it, it that, that's why I say it's, it, it is very similar. But the idea is that it finally, eventually, achieves profitability. Maybe, and it will have been worth it. Amazon is the same. All of these big technocracies, and it's, um,
0: it's very, it's very likely that Tesla gets unseated by every other car company that's building the exact same cars now. Yes, and they would have built them. Maybe, maybe it would have taken three more years or four more years, but electric cars were coming. Well, the,
1: well, we don't know because the reason electric cars have been favored is due to the bureaucracy, and this is why. Like, there might be a better solution out there that we will never know about because you'll
0: never know. You'll never know because of subsidies. Like, it might be that the best solution the, by the way,
1: market because because what ESG is, it's it's a form of um of like condoned market
0: manipulation that's basically what it is yeah but how do we know that the best option for cars wasn't the toyota prius how do we know like and it's it's super it's super ridiculous to think that like we will ever get to a world where you actually end up with like peak efficiency if what you're doing is manipulating
1: but also George what the esg people don't realize and i think it's taken them a while to realize this is that two can play the game of esg and stock manipulation is all you know they thought they would get momentum if they got their mates at all the you know investment houses to you know forward to back the, you know, for example wef's own investment and, and now pro-
0: there are anti-esg funds
1: yeah but but look so so web's own investment portfolio is managed by a company that is headed by al gore right um so that's that's like the circularity of it that's that's you know al gore goes to wherever he hears klaus has some money you know they talk up you know it's the same it's it's it is the same concept as crypto in the sense of you have all the propaganda networks pushing the idea and and then you know al gore heads it he sits on the advisory board and suddenly everyone is is quids in but you know you're right in the sense that um what were you saying sorry i forgot
0: <laughs> which part
1: just now you oh, said it say, like it,
0: it, like it is a grift like the the presumption that you're going to get to peak efficiency by like like making these selections is very dumb and it, it works for so long so again tesla might work tesla might absolutely work maybe even like for a number maybe 10 years we continue to rape uh the children in lithium mines uh of the of their future health and you know maybe maybe that's what we do and then comes a point where we're like oh we don't have enough lithium oh yes so there are externalities
1: and the funny thing is esg is a response to the externalities but because the targets are set through bureaucrats like it's a market manipulation, which will have even more externalities. And of course the why, blind spot,
0: they... why do the best ideas not rise to the top? Like, look, why is it that someone like William Nordhaus who says that, uh, that basically, uh, carbon credits are a good way forward, mainly because they're, they're, they're neutral, ideologically neutral, right? That's essentially the idea it's like, if we're wrong about climate change, that's fine. They're ideologically neutral. It's not a big deal. Like, you know, we can, you know, it's, it's just money. So like, if we're wrong, it's not a big deal. People are paying basically the possible damage that they're doing to the environment. Um, why is that, that fairly obvious reality, which is that governments manage externalities, not the solution that WEF would, would implement instead, they do this like top down, uh, fully idiotic. We are going to pick what the world looks like, uh, and turn it into our like little Lego house and get these activists on boards that really undermine the credibility of the so-called elitists.
1: Yes, exactly. So I've been distracted by the fact that in the in the <laughs> my dyslexic brain, I wrote "gift" instead of "grift." Ugh. Sorry, and I had thirty minutes to correct it, and I didn't. <laughs> now blue. <to> Sorry. <laughs> I, I know. I
0: know. I know you, you were you were saying earlier, like Schellenberger it, it is a Nordhaus guy as well.
1: Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I didn't yeah.
0: divulge to you that I also am.
1: Well, we I know that, but you yeah, do. I think it's an interesting fascination to have, but. One of the key points with this bureaucratic influence, I think is, tw- because this is the undoing of WEF, and it's very analogous to what happened with Twitter. Twitter was brought down, as Taibi and all those guys have been reporting, it meant well in the beginning, just like WEF did, <laughs> but it was brought down by its own internal bureaucracies. Systems they brought into, um, into play to deal with spam and bots, and and scammers right and then those tools which were used to de-amplify certain voices and elevate other voices were then sought out by opportunists who could who saw a really useful um benefit from being able to influence that distortion of the neutrality right and this and and i think the forum has followed exactly the same um you know paradigm because um or you know what am i trying to say it's followed in the same footsteps because it too um had to you know enforce more and more bureaucracy um membership fees you know so to to be profitable it had to cover its like its core costs so it it had the twitter blue before anybody that's the membership uh right and if you pay the membership you don't have advertising hence hence although i suspect elon won't necessarily enforce that but you know neutrality of of WEF, there's no advertising. Everyone pays their dues and they get equal access in theory. But the but there was influence because people who had who were there were different tiers within within WEF. There were different areas of private and and then public sessions and then who had Klaus's ear or i.e. the ear of uh, Joel Yol Roth, right? That's the equivalence had more power than somebody who didn't have his ear and so klaus then became the 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 one that was determining whose voice would be amplified during the WEF sessions and whose wasn't and then he bought into like the esg stuff and he thought it was his own idea but actually it was just coming from all these you know people who were influencing him and then he became that that was the undoing of it and then in the process he started to also completely distance himself from the reality of of digital influence and rather than accept that digital influence zones also need representation in in um, in, in the forum he chose to to basically ignore them anyone who was critical of his regime because that's disinformation and that's when it fell apart so i wrote a column for unheard today arguing that the replacement of when Klaus passes away or, or retires very likely the forum will die but it won't it won't be like elon musk buying it out or whoever it won't, it won't go away
0: it just nobody will go there anymore though nobody will go
1: there because no one will have it like people have invested in influencing klaus is is, right?
0: klaus's, is klaus's death oh that's interesting so so people have okay but is Klaus's death the end of ESG and the end of like a lot of this BS?
1: It could be because what I think will happen is it's it's like um it's like Game of Thrones. Klaus will disappear, and there will be new people with different like biases that that the system will have to influence again. That will co- cause total chaos. I mean. So from a creative disruption point, it'll be easier to start a new neutral like you'll either get like the fragmentation effect, like with Parler and Gab and Truth, uh, or you will get some sort of um, challenger that is genuinely neutral, which will include digital spaces. And that's why I argued in my column today that the natural successor to Klaus, if we were gonna revert to the original vision of of Web, would be more someone like Joe Rogan than- I I would like to
0: volunteer for this job, Isabella. (laughs) i can i can tell you all the reasons joe rogan will fail
1: oh right okay but joe rogan i mean obviously it doesn't have to be joe rogan but someone like joe rogan someone who listens to all sides because that's the beauty of joe rogan's show is that he's he's fairly like like klaus he's a listener and he um in theory, he's open to all sorts of things, and he's creating dialogue. And he's pl- you know—everyone gets their free hours with him, uh, whoever they are. And the, sh- the 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 audience is like determine whether his podcast is um, successful or not. So I think someone like him is more likely to with huge reach. It could uh, it could even be Elon. Like I don't know, probably not Elon. Elon isn't committed enough to neutrality, but he has the reach. So that's my take on it
0: all. Why is there such a need for this?
1: Well, Elon tweeted actually <laughs> in his response, he said, "Oh, well, there's nothing, you know, I think it was something like, oh, the world probably needs like some place where there's dialogue between, you know, the elite can have dialogues And I I actually happen to agree with that. Michael Schellenberger uh, doesn't like we we discussed this. I shouldn't say too much, but um but I do because it's a Rick's cafe, isn't it? Like, you have to have neutral ground. You have to have somewhere where you can parlay. Uh, otherwise, you will never have... Or even apres. You know,
0: huh? Or even apres.
1: <laughs> apres ski, yes. Um, but you do need a, a kind of cantina. You need somewhere where people can meet in neutral I, ground. I think,
0: I think that's a very European belief. And, and you know what's really funny is Americans are really obsessed with Europe. I am of the Amerocentric belief that no one in the world should have access to American elites and elite and, and American elites who want to give access to themselves of, of to other people in the world in a way that is anything other than telling them what freedom is, uh, those people are traitors.
1: So you don't believe in diplomacy? You don't believe in- No, I, I don't that... believe
0: in diplomacy. I just believe that like America got it right and everyone else has it wrong. And when I hear other countries talk about like we are free, and I'm just like, you have no idea what freedom is. Only America figured it out, only, and other countries could figure it out, but they've chosen not to.
1: Look, if uh, that is one view, and you That's know, right you can argue it, but I think that would be my. You are correct. <laughs> even if you are correct, there are going to be a lot of people who don't agree with you. Right, and a lot of cultures that will therefore take um, offense if America tries to sweep in with its system into their neck of the woods. Well, right, I don't,
0: I don't. I don't have any desire. Like I'm not. A, I'm not a. Like I am not neocon. in any way a neocon. Uh, a neocon. A neocon. Well, maybe a little, no. I'm not really a neocon. Um, I'm not a. Uh, uh, what's it called when you don't talk to people outside of your country? Isolationist. Isolationist. I'm not one of those. Uh, not in any way. Um, but I, I, I don't care if other countries take offense at like American liberal values. And and I think it's really interesting. Like in America, this is a thing that like liberals in the U S like to say, like the rest of the world, it just really hates us right now. I'm like, I, I don't care. The rest of the world doesn't understand American values. And, uh, so anyhow, it's, it's like, for me, I think you're right. There needs to be a place for elites to uh, gather, but I think in America, like American elites, Particularly, I think our senators uh, need a place where they can actually talk and get along. And I I, in America, I think that that is like I I think that we we have lacked for about 100 years, a aristocratic, beneficent aristocratic class. And I think it needs to be brought back because I think you're right in sentimentally. That that is necessary to a free society, which is very weird. I never. Well, think thought about that you know. At the
1: moment, I heard like I interviewed Pippa Malmgram, who used to work at the George Bush White House as an economist, senior advisor, right? And one thing she said to me, and I thought it was a very interesting and insightful comment, was that the the transparency the the transparency requirement creates an environment where most of these elites are paranoid about putting anything on paper because they know that that an FOI will immediately, you know, be searchable and findable and embarrass them. As a result, lots of meetings are held where people don't write anything down (laughs) and then people can't remember what was said and it's all this, he said, she said stuff, but but you know, you imply blah, blah, blah. And actually just from note taking perspective, that's really bad. Like it's better to be able to take notes and in a, in some sort of environment that is considered to be definitively private. Of course, the secure, you know, national security is the only exception which allows for that. Um, and a lot of people think that that exception is being abused, but I think, so I agree. I think we elites need a private space because otherwise you can't have, you can't have any consolatory dialogue, right? If you are warring, like if Zelensky and Putin meet, and it's all in like the public eye and every single word is scrutinized. They're never going to be able to make any concessions, right? They're not going to be able to meet any middle ground because all their factions will be holding holding them hostage to their particular views. So I think you need, especially in a in, in, a, in a highly, um, you know, fr- fr- if there's a lot of friction in the world, I think you need that that safe space, that private space, but you need a mandate from the people to do it, right? So as long as the people know that this is being done in their, and they trust you, that's fine. I don't know, I don't have the solution, obviously, but there needs to be a middle ground because yes, for sure, at the moment, it's only the security agencies that get that pri- privilege and they're not always worthy of it, right? Whereas I think if you elect officials, The people who get the privacy should be elected officials because then if they abuse it there's some sort of recourse
0: yeah and uh i agree oh
1: well with that. i agree with that so do you think what do you think in terms of um the idea of you know ongoing influence or a challenger event can you see anything else emerging
0: anywhere yeah i think that there's stuff going on uh some of some of These types of events I'm sure you know about that are like happening external to something like WEF and uh, and I think that I I, like, look, I think I think the way like, if you think about it, the way that people like this is the Bilderberg group essentially, right? But it's not the Bilderberg
1: group because Bilderberg is very different to where
0: I understand, but I'm saying that all of these groups are literally just they're just conferences, right? They're just conferences that people put on. And then they gain this like sort of notorious reputation, largely because the location the conference is held at is inaccessible to most people. The tickets might be a little bit expensive, you know, whatever the case. So essentially it it, ensures, so there are these things that are happening and they're gonna move from WEF or Bilderberg or whatever, and just start moving into like other secret spaces, aren't they? Well, they
1: won't because I think that the unique thing about WEF is that it's like Twitter. It's only valuable if everybody comes. And the, all the challenger events are usually like you know web summit or something very specific. It's it's like um, challenger event for... doesn't
0: make any sense. What is that? What is a challenger event?
1: Well, like any any alternative like high influence event at the is moment this
0: what they refer to them as challenger. Events?
1: No, no, I've just said that. But like I'm I'm talking about any other conference. Like you don't have the critical mass of and by they... the forum. Because there's nothing else that's like it where everyone has to be there, like Twitter, even if you hate everyone there, you still go because that's where everyone is right now, if you have you know the fragmentation that you've seen with Parler and stuff that that's that that devalues the concept of 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 having a neutral ground where you can see everybody, which is why weF shot itself in its foot in the foot when it stopped you know when it started sort of isolating a certain faction of society and looking down on it because. That's that 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 was ironically they needed those people in. It would have been better to invite
0: Joe Rogan
1: and have him head the disinformation panel than Brian Stelter. Right. That
0: that blew my mind. That one blew my mind. The fact that they are so blind to the notion that Brian Stelter is one of the biggest purveyors of misinformation (laughs) that they let him lead the panel. Discussing misinformation, but the the panel itself was terrible. Isabella, (laughs) I don't know if you watched it again, they bought into premises that aren't true and namely the premise that they bought into is that in that misinformation is a right wing, uh, is a right wing problem in particular. And that the, the, the extent to which it's a left-leaning problem, it's at least they're trying to help people. Yeah. And that that's insane
1: yeah and i think this is a function of the fact that um klaus has got to a point where he has listened to all these you know whoever's in his ear um people who are circling his his in his orbit who want to effectively dispossess him of power in the end and and bought into this idea that that if you host that somehow the internet, like disinformation on the internet, is or people who have different views on the internet are different to say entertaining Xi Jinping, right? Xi Jinping has very different views to most of the other people at Web, but um, but we have him anyway. But like we we can't possibly tolerate anyone else from 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 the internet space. I think that's that's the problem. He's differentiated the two, which is ironic because he was a pioneer in his own right in terms of seeing the potential of the web and you know he 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 funded these tele teleconferencing systems he understood and is a big supporter of 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 the web and the internet so it's very ironic that he should be undone by like a misunderstanding of the culture of the internet i think
0: well does anyone there understand the culture of the internet
1: Anybody? no I, I don't think they do and and that's the other thing because this is why the value why is it valuable for them to all go there every year it's because when you're in, when you are a high official you are surrounded by sycophants who are mostly telling you what you want to know uh, what you what they think you want to know right or or trying to influence you in, in their nefarious ways right so you can't really trust people you become a bit paranoid. WEF is a sort of place where you can hang around with equally influential people and be exposed to other ideas and these guys are t- gen- genuinely they're always behind the curve you mentioned it yourself WEF is usually like always wrong in terms of its forecasts and always um, catching up on stuff that we were talking about years ago.
0: I see this thing. I see this thing with WEF where they, they like things will come out of WEF and they're like shareholder capitalism. I'm like, good luck with that, you dum dums. Never gonna happen. Not in the US at least. Like good luck. Good luck trying it. And I see the language of it like seeping into like communications and government or other things. And I'm like, the only people that are accepting this are like white liberal women. Like but in it's like, like
1: Twitter, like the people who fo- like do the virtue signaling on Twitter, the same people who who think, you know, going to Davos is really important and influencing it. It's it's, um, you know, because the structure is the same. It's that you've got your power influencers and then the entire cottage industry of like bots and um, sycophants and scammers who are trying to influence the influencers. Right. That's the same, the same structure. Yeah. Um, so I think it's very analogous and I, I think it's funny that Elon Musk is sort of like now challenging the forum and and, and saying it's irrelevant because maybe, maybe he's right. And I definitely think, I don't think Twitter can replace the forum because you need those face-to-face interactions, but it's certainly something that enhances you know web has its own twitter it has like this top link thing where like the, if you're in it you can message everybody else it's not public though I did it's not like a shared I'm not sure actually I've never seen if there's a public dialog like a, a private public dialogue within the system. Maybe there isn't but um it definitely has the, the means for this network to then stay in touch if they want to um, so yeah anyway how much do you know about um the idea of corporatism like as a as a thing because i was quite struck by the fact that when we described what was going on at WEF as corporatism there was a bit of pushback because there is um a very distinct concept of uh corporatism being potentially quite good so well, I, can unpack,
0: feel- I can unpack the word and tell you what i mean but I, I think that like you have a definition so why don't you just give give the definition and no, I, 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 I don't think there is a definition of corporatism
1: well what no, i'm interested what, what do you think it is and i'm not trying to catch you out just because i was myself
0: the word corporatism I, I just sort of think like uh rule by corporation like uh, things that are good for corporations you know like when disney uh you know the, the esg is a good example right if corporations accept esg and uh yes and, and you know corporations are paying government and whatnot to like influence them um or black BlackRock is you know funding esg narratives like it's just kind of like uh corporate culture entering the rest of society that's that's kind of how i would would understand it so what what is the actual definition
1: so if you take the strict sort of definition of it um let me get the actual because <laughs> because i don't want to mess it up Hang on.
0: Um, so Davos equals shitcoin casino. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so he- here we go. Bar. So there's an element. Of, so it, it goes back to the sort of Italian idea of fascist Italy. So strictly corporatism is collective bargaining between unions and employers brokered by the state. So the state which can be either be a democratic state or a totalitarian state, as in in Italy. Basically, rather than use um, other channels to influence, like state corporations or state systems, it entrusts corporations to um, to to impact, affect the um, the policies of the state, so, so and so it allows it's co- the
0: state the state abdicating responsibility and allowing corporations to carry out its desires in in America, for example. Uh, where the state it's very specific
1: because it. it's supposed okay. to be a mechanism that is inclusive of like a collective bro- uh, bargaining process between unions and employees, right? So the, 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 the corporates are not just for profit. They are um, the internal stakeholders. The employees get a say through these mechanisms that you know allow for for feedback through the system to to help everybody so the the perfect example is the fdr corporate town system right which was which some people believe is a really good model and a lot of um western writers were actually very um i think quite uh uh what's the word <laughs> sorry my brain's a bit lost sometimes um they were quite taken by the idea of Italian corporatism they they reckon they they liked it and they they saw a lot of virtue in it because they thought it, it it controlled for the sort of externalities of raw capitalism in a very good way the problem is is that it doesn't allow for any engagement by non-active citizenry so if you if you don't have a job if you're not a managerial class or you're not involved in a corporation um, you have no say in the political system or, in, or you, there is no other mechanism for you to feed back into the system other than through purchasing products of corporates. Um, and the state can influence the corporations to influence the market, right? So that's corporatism. So the famous example in Italy is something called the battle for grain, which was Mussolini deciding that Italy had to be entirely independent and didn't wasn't to... Um, have any imports from anywhere around the world it had to be... rely on
0: those saudi elites for their grain exports anymore
1: no 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 exactly so they had to they had to be sustainable um and, and everything had to be domestically
0: produced. Pack.
1: <laughs> and that so so similar to how esg now creates incentives for us to drop fossil fuel and then skews the system to uh allow the economy to maximize renewable energy production Mussolini did the same with domestic grain uh, so it, it incentivized everyone to stop making other like shoes or whatever and everyone became a farmer to 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 make to to generate grain and to this day I think the after effects are still there but the, the there were really bad repercussions because there were externalities involved with lots of other industries being undersupplied and people were very unhappy because the system was essentially Gained. It's not
0: unlike the push for globalization in the '90s, to be honest. Like right, the knock-on effects, right?
1: Right. So the and this is where I got the pushback is that I thought it was very similar to Italian uh, fascism, uh, fascist economics, right? But the pushback was that it, Mussolini's Italy was a nationalist model, whereas obviously the WeF framework, ESG corporatism, if you call it that, is internationalist and globalist in its agenda. So it doesn't uh in theory it doesn't advance one culture over another every way but instead what it has what it forwards really is the bureaucrat bureaucrats and the rentiers who benefit from the gaming of the system and so that feeds the bureaucracy you know, it is a bit a bit
0: rent, like the... like esg is pure rent seeking yes that's what it that's really what it like incentivizes i mean yeah. it, it, and, and tesla's a great model right uh basically, Tesla has been profitable simply because of, of, uh, of government subsidy.
1: Yes, exactly. So that is that's why I think there is a I think there's a big parallel between Italian fascism and the multi stakeholder uh, model. But I, I, I can see why people who favor corporatism as a sort of New Deal type framework, which allows for democratic pushback within the system. Um, are upset with that nomenclature because they don't want their system to be um, you know, it's very unfortunate in their eyes that corporatism was was associated with the fascistic side of things. But I think I think that's a fair argument to a certain degree. So they would say WEF well, is not corporatist, it is a neoliberal, uh, technocratic, globalist, um thing right and that's very different because it uses the market mechanism to solve its problems it doesn't
0: someone's a gecker gecker redden uh says how is esg rent seeking uh got the tesla example got more uh i mean i think that all of all of esg is not profit motivated so what the government has and what what corporations have is basically this unholy relationship where the government says you do x and we won't punish you or we will give you subsidies. So you end up with like weird corporate trainings in order to get money. Um, You end up with like malinvestment. You end up with like energy companies not drilling for oil and relying on subsidies from the government to make up for the costs. So in in order to succeed in a world where there's ESG, it requires that companies become rent seeking in order to survive. And what happens is again, this unholy relationship then moves the corporations from relying on the thing that they should be doing, which is to take risk in a risk model that they have set up for themselves. So like a, a, a drilling company should be taking risk in oil exploration or in oil and purchasing of oil fields, et cetera. But in a model where they're no longer incentivized to do that now in order to like either move past the uh, business model of something like fossil fuels or something like that, they rely on government to basically push them Uh, past this like time of non-profitability and it just causes it it causes rent seeking it requires rent seeking and the government knows that and once you've done that you're no longer really just an independent corporation for for the rest of history your corporation will now be dependent on governments which means that you have a scenario where all of these corporations are now too big to fail you have a, a scenario where unions are now tied into the government so if like shell goes bankrupt Instead of allowing a a smaller oil corporation to come up and uh, take their place, all of a sudden the government is going to write them a big check to make sure that they remain solvent. So like it's sort of the elimination of bankruptcy, which is actually a really decent system uh, that was developed in the United States around railroads for this exact explanation. It's the opposite of rent seeking. The reason that bankruptcy existed is because in railroad in railroad times when railroad companies would become insolvent banks didn't want to go in and seize railroads because they could do nothing with them. Right. So the best people to operate railroads are the people that in fact their company, their corporate understanding is to take risk of running railroads of running like whatever it is uh, that is on the railroads and and making sure that they can be profitable. So what they did is they developed this sort of model of restructuring where you could restructure your debt in order to remain uh, solvent. And it was the banks that took on the risk. Right. Whereas if you have government taking on the risk, there's really actually no risk taking that is going on. At least it, it, it creates mal-risk taking, mal-investment as well. So that's, that's why.
1: No, I agree. And I've got a really good example of how that's um, coming about in, in the UK, at least. In the UK, we have um, this concept of EDI, I think it's called, um, equitable diversity and inclusion. And it's um, being pushed by the government. Um, to the degree that all government contracts now have to have an EDI score, and unless you pass the a- EDI score, you don't get a contract from the government, right? So every every contractor has to um, apply to these third party agencies that have popped up everywhere to anoint them with an EDI score. What metrics they use to actually determine this is really really murky. And um, and it turns out because there's not enough of them, these corporations are charging an insane amount because there's a huge like list of corporates waiting to get these signed off. There's only ten EDI scores. Well, it's, it's just
0: it's just it's just Ju- Judaism uh, in terms of uh, God uh, kosher. It's just a kosher rabbi. Like, yeah, you yeah. Have the kosher you, rabbi you coming in and saying you slayed the you know. pig correctly. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. And so, and you need this score and we we are the only people who can appoint you with this score. Um, so, you, and, and there's not enough of us so we can charge you 200,000 pounds. And I have a, I I know of a company that when they found, they're like little startup, like the 200,000 pounds for an EDI score is like a huge deal for them. And when they when they said to their, like to their um, government representative, like, oh, this is really expensive. The government guy was like, Oh, well, we'll Louisiana just pay Florida. for it instead. Yeah. We'll pay for it for oh, you. There you go. And, and And they were like, well, no, we don't want you to pay for it because it's a waste of money. Like, well, I don't want my tax, pay, tax dollars going towards, like, 200000 for an EDI score. This is absurd. And um, so to get around the EDI score, the, the company in question had to have this, like, very intrusive, um, intrusive sort of interview with these two random individuals who had, had no idea about their business, had no idea about like this was like a software business <laughs> and and they were making absurd sort of like um re- they were, well, statements like you know do, do you have enough blind people in your organization it's like a team of like seven people like do you have a blind like are, are your products enabling you know the blind are, are they it's like it's a software company like like it, it doesn't make sense and this is the weird externality that you get from these um, and that's how it ends up being rentierism. I, I think that's exactly accurate
0: yeah it, it just it, it requires this an un, un, unholy alliance and you know the bigger problem is that like it's it's a completely arbitrary uh point of entry uh barrier to entry for any company that wants to do something like it's it's absurd that a small company should have to comply with these restrictions. There's no reason that any company should, but like the the reason that they do it is because it's really easy for Amazon.com to pay two hundred thousand dollars to anybody for anything. You want, yeah, you and want this is why enables the, te-
1: the incumbent techno- te- yeah. technocracy.
0: Yeah, you want you want you want two hundred thousand dollars from Amazon. Send them like honestly, just send them an invoice and they'll probably send you a check. And uh, it, it'll be fraud, but like that's that's you could probably get them to do it, like. But if you're if you're a small startup and like you're seven people, you're paying like you know checks every month. You're you're struggling to make payroll. You know, two hundred k. Maybe you're six or seven. You'll have two hundred k in your bank account. Maybe, um, but, you know, unless you're like a VC invested company. But this is like this. This makes entrepreneurial venture re- it kills it. It kills it. Kills innovation. It kills a lot of things.
1: Right. Of course, the corporatists would say that they're like the pure corporatist um, concept in its its good form is different because it's decentralized. And I think the corporatists, like the purists, see it more as like the medieval guild system where you have essentially um, professionals determining their own, you know, um, how how to regulate themselves with guidance from a sort of hands-offy monarch or, or, or it could be a democracy, doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, and that this is fine because it's decentralized and it allows for um, s- subgroups to, to to figure out what's good for themselves without too much government intervention. That's why they they quite like it and and uh, and advance it because they see it as as a. They would say it's, it's a better form of government that's sort of the direct democracy mob rule that you sometimes get with referendums or whatever like you have people who are actually informed about their own you know subject areas or industries making the decisions but it's okay because it's decentralized so like the automakers aren't going to tell the um i don't know the fashionistas what to do right so it's all segregated but in, but in and in in theory it's supposed to guard against monopoly, um, but um, I think monopoly is practice... rarely a
0: problem in a competitive atmosphere. That's the thing; like, government really does enforce monopoly often, and it's it's a weird, uh, it's a weird situation, you know, because they're also the enforcers of like trying to break them up, you know, because there's a recognition that monopoly is uh, is a bit of an externality.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, like in its pure form, the corporatist concept, I'm not against i th- i can see why it's valuable i mean i can see why why you would want like competing guilds and you know having mechanisms but of course uh, doesn't doesn't doesn't
0: capitalism breed that like if if that is the most efficient form of capital allocation and uh profitability isn't that what will eventually like grow out of a capitalist infrastructure well and in theory out, so that's that's clearly not the most efficient
1: in theory, yes, and like a good example of that is the kind of um, the fact that taxi taxi systems all around the world always end up creating small cartels, right? Sure. That have self regulated status, and, and and you know the, the state gives them a license, but by and large, they are setting their own prices, and and they know what's best, and they have a and, you know mechanisms to support their workers and whatever. Right. And um, but then neoliberal technocracy comes in in the form of uber and tries to disrupt that because they're like no the market mechanism is better and we want we don't want workers to be protected by any any kind of uh, guild type structures it's not good for the consumer well but yeah that... but, but,
0: but fundamentally uber's uber's a, a bad example because like what uber does is uber basically makes the bet that governments can't enforce their own rules to the effect uh, and, and then they they come in and they kind of destroy uh, destroy all of that, but like Uber does this on the back of like you know venture capital investment, and they the the fundamental Uber pitch isn't we are more profitable. It's we will undercharge for taxis by twenty five percent, and uh and and that will be how we win the game, and we'll do it by just having a lot of money in our coffers and running yes, exactly. a, a, a giant burner. That's
1: why it's years. market manipulation, and that's yeah. why it's that's why it's it's more wef. Then it is corporatism. That's right. what the corporatists would say. They would say it's technocratic um, neoliberalism, which is forcing. It, 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 and also, it's the, um, it's the relationship that Uber tries to aspire to with the government, which is to create, right. to get the government to protect their market mechanism, which allows for abusive work practices that don't give power to the employees at all. Corporatists would say, well, our model wouldn't do that because we would give power to the employees through our guild systems, right? So, so right, Uber yeah. is anti, anti, anti union, anti kind of like giving, you know, it, it maintains its monopoly whilst forcing the worker class to operate in a competitive market that is radical, radically competitive. So the workers get no protections, but it gets the m- maximum protection from the state. So it's the worst of the systems is, is what the corporatist would say. And when you call that system a corporatist model, you are miss labeling corporatism is what they would say
0: people are saying that we still have the sound issue where i'm only on the left that's very weird i don't i don't know why that is um
1: oh is that you again being on the left
0: that's what it says it says that i'm only on the left and i i uh
1: well i think are you are you secretly signaling to people no which, i'm not which, which, I, like i'm, which, I'm doing which, morse code which, in the which,
0: other ear <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do it we'll have to do a beep, test beep, beep, to beep, figure beep. out what's going on So last, before we finish up, how much do you know about what's been going on on at the Bank of Japan?
0: Um, Well, Isabel, this is the first I've heard of uh, the Bank of Japan. I didn't know they existed until this very moment. So nothing.
1: (laughs) Well, it's really interesting, and I think it fits into our conversation. So the Bank of Japan, obviously, is the central bank of Japan.
0: That was my assumption. (laughs)
1: and they have been engaged in the longest run of qe ever like they were the first to do qe even before we were doing qe they were doing qe because they had a um a huge market crash following um oh god it was like in the 90s right and they had the famous lost decade and they um they intervened in the market and they were with quantitative processes and they essentially ended up um reducing rates for a very very long time initiating what became known as the J- the Japanese yen carry trade which was um adopted by Mrs. Yakamoto i think was the um not 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 Satoshi Nakamoto oh I, I messed up the name
0: Satoshi Yakamoto
1: No 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 anyway there was a Japanese generic name that was applied to this carry trade because everyone was doing it even your mom um and wow the idea oh, was, jokes. <laughs> and the idea was that you could borrow cheap cheap yen and then convert it into domestic currency um because it was cheaper to do it that way but it created all these other externalities you get
0: you get cheap yen
1: yeah convert it into dollars use the dollars to buy more yen no 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 to for corporate Corporate lent. like so. If you want to borrow in the market, if you want to borrow funds for whatever purposes, rather than borrowing dollars, uh, you would borrow yen because it was cheaper interest rate. You just have to convert it, and then because the the, the exchange rates favored, the dollar was always. Uh, I think it was yeah. The dollar was always appreciating. So when when it came time to, um, lend borrow um, pay it back, you could buy cheap yen again. So that the yen was effectively always. Being um, depreciated to some degree relative to the dollar. um I hope I haven't messed that up, but that's how I understood it. And yes, there was sort of arbitrages without the lending because it it, it facilitated sort of risk free arbitrage in some way, which I, I I don't want to mess up, but
0: there was an arbitrage. So it sounds like the coin clipping.
1: It possibly in,
0: in, in the UK, where they France yep. had a floating exchange rate and they just clip the coins in the UK and put them on a boat and go to France and sell them. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So anyway. This has been going on for ages, and then all the other central banks were doing negative yields and zero zerp, whatever. So the yen carry trade got a little bit crowded out because everyone had the same rates. But now, of course, the Western central banks are lifting rates. But Japan is like the one country in the world that still doesn't have massive inflation. And the central bank governor, Kuroda, is defiantly sort of trying to maintain lower rates it's called um you know they're calling it yield control and he's buying to stop the rates going up he's continuously buying more and more bonds on the longer side of the uh, bond curve um to the point now that the bank of japan basically owns the entire market of japanese bonds um and the big question in the market is will will this somehow is it going to break down because once you own all the bonds, right, what what can you do? Can you default um, on yourself? Well, it, it, anyway, it's an interesting situation. Um, and I was just wondering if you, if you had been looking at it because it's No, I haven't. Like, I'm going to
0: now though, that's really weird.
1: It's a fascinating situation, but of course, Japan is a big holder of US debt um, as well. And, but domestic debt is most, almost entirely held domestically as well. So it owes itself. Um, yeah, I was like, but, it's
0: default on yourself. Is that fine?
1: Well, yeah. It seems um, fine. If you own all
0: your debt, you own you own you own you own nothing.
1: <laughs> we think? am I right <laughs> we stop. You own you own we're nothing giving, you're happy. We're
0: You've giving just, ourselves like, money. But they have a de- terrible
1: depth. kind of demographic um issue because there's too many old people, not enough young people. Mm-hmm. So the bonds are supposed to be sort of long-term investments, but they haven't been yielding anything. So um, the... You know what I learned about this
0: week, by the way, speaking of bonds? Uh Uh-huh. The console debt. Oh, yeah. Console bonds.
1: Yeah, yeah. Console. You know what these? Console. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know this, but
0: apparently like Wall Street, like console bonds uh, were issued like hundreds of years ago by the UK and they still pay out. You can register them with the exchequer.
1: Mrs. Watanabe. That was it. Thanks,
0: practice. And not, uh, so, so no, apparently no. Like, <laughs> apparently a lot of like uh, wall streeters will buy right. these console bonds so that like they're getting a dollar from the uk every year or something like that or every quarter to uh to, to like just laugh at them because it's it's a debt from like the revolutionary war or something like,
1: well britain famously paid back its wartime consoles not long ago um maybe about i do eight years ago or something um but it's a perpetual it's a perpetual coupon in theory until you pay off the principal. um but usually by the time i mean there's some i think i read somewhere that there's a pattern like a distressing pattern where by the time a nation decides to pay off its old perpetual debt um it's usually the time that a new war kind of emerges somewhere and they have to issue more perpetual debt but this feeds into my plan for you know to rescue the uk because they could issue New consoles and call them Elizabeth bonds, you That's know, bad. and maybe strike them as NFTs. <laughs> ta- ta- oh. I mean, it, I, I who wouldn't buy a Queen Elizabeth NFT perpetual coupon? I wouldn't. Oh,
0: because you're not British, no, because <laughs> NFTs are just receipts.
1: I'm just joking, it doesn't have to be an NFT, it could be a bond. also.
0: Also, no, no, I don't, I don't buy British things. Yeah, I'll exactly. buy a gun. Have
1: you, have you been following the Meghan and Harry story?
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, it's been hard to find, it, it's been hard to find information on them. Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, I've, I've been doing what I can to dig it up.
1: Um. So what do you think? Do you think, uh, were you upset by the revelation that Harry was punched or hit by William and broke his necklace, fell into a dog bowl?
0: it's so dumb like i I, like that sounds like brothers like you know if if, if the idea that brothers wouldn't fight uh particularly physically it's so bitchy like it it it, like that's what brothers do they punch each other
1: yeah well exactly the whole thing i mean but i understand that in america where you're from harry isabella
0: David in the chat says uh, that Megan and, and Harry are just such private people. He's he's right. They're just very <laughs> private. Like we just, we can't find info on them. It's, you know, I've, I've looked and looked and it's very difficult, but I've, I think I've dug up some stuff that I'm, I'm compelled by. Have you, know? you watched the Netflix documentary? I, I watched some of it. It was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> hard to watch. Well, hard to care.
1: Hard to care. Um, and you and you're me. watching and you're
0: like, I don't think any of this is true. I I'm very skeptical of everything that those two say. And, uh, and it's very weird. Like, it's just, you know, I, I heard some quotes, uh, from, uh, his new book spare. He seems like kind of a a guy who never understood, uh, the weird and very privileged place that he had in life and the opportunity that it afforded him. Um, and you know, like, I, I think that, he could have said no to the life and he could have done it with grace but instead he did it with Meghan markle
1: but i hear that in america people like they are winning the pr war in in america because in the uk william is winning like you everyone hates harry here but i heard he's taken america much like the beatles
0: took. no one likes america. him here really no 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 it's it's like it's like look the the european press the the british press is enamored with leftist leftist media, and in so reporting everything that leftist media reports in the U.S., you guys think that you are being neutral. It, I've seen this so many times. Like I'll talk to Brits, and they're like, "Oh, I, uh, I know what happened with Donald Trump. I am a neutral arbiter. I am from Britain. I, you know, this is a, this is how they talk there. Um, that's my best British accent." I see you and, too. Uh, <laughs>
1: And, I didn't realize that was a British accent. Now yeah,
0: I That's a, a British accent. So, like, and, 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 you know, all these Brits, like, Peter McCormick in Bitcoin says this all the time. He's like, I'm, I'm a neutral party. I am not from America. I I can parse the information better than you can. And I'm like, no, no, you guys are, you guys are literally listening to the BBC re repeat like CNN talking points that have been filtered through like seven layers. And I hear the British media report it as if it's fact. I'm just like, what? So they're no, they're not winning the PR war here. Uh, like again, liberals uh, seem to like them, I guess, maybe, but for the most part, they don't really care. The right is making incessant fun of them. Nothing like that joke there that they're such private uh, people. That's become a big joke in the U.S., um, where everyone's like, "Ah, oh, just I'm finding like I, I I went online to look for there was a great tweet last week. I went online to look for information on Harry and Meghan." Uh, wasn't able to find any can can someone uh send you know link me to some good good sources. And the joke is, you know, they've been on Oprah, they've been on uh Netflix, they've got a book, they've like done 14 interviews and nobody believes them. Everyone everyone had a very low opinion of Megan before she left. They have a lower opinion of her now. Um men in America think that Harry is a giant cuckold who like gave up his he gave up his guns. He gave his he, he has historically important firearms that he like sold on craigslist
1: didn't know that bit but interesting yeah
0: mm. like family family heirlooms he's like unloading them because she is making him do it and and like requesting it and it's like america's like what like if my dad gave me a gun I, like it's not leaving this house like it's mine that's, that's like an heirloom
1: yeah well look i am um, i'm I definitely am not a fan of either of them i think I think he's obviously been under the influence of megan um I think in their world, you know their truth they 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 see themselves as as victims the, the bits, Megan, heard... come on like she did not she claims she didn't know like what she was That's, getting It's absurd into. pure
0: absurd I didn't even know he was a prince. I didn't know what it was like. Like, the that
1: make my life a nightmare but even though like everyone knew about diana like i mean she's even incredibly ignorant or no, there, there's how, there's... apparently she doesn't know how to google because have you she...
0: looked have you looked at the book like there's moments where he describes things like he took her to diana's grave and he walked away and he's like get you get to know get to know her and uh, and megan sat there and then like he comes back and he sees that she's praying at diana's grave I'm like this this girl like ran a grift. It was you know it's it's hilarious to like hear this, but you know what's funny is I have not read the full book, but I've heard a number of excerpts, and the excerpts I've heard have made Charles King King Charles Ch- um, really sound like a good compassionate father.
1: You're right. Actually, that was quite an interesting insight. I did. I think Charles has been. Um... Because he was always on, on, you know, under the shadow so of the queen.
0: and says shame about the guns. And by the way, there's a dude out there who has guns owned by the Prince of England. Who, when he bought them, had no idea at first that they were owned by them. Which tells me that they were sold at a market price. Oh, those are very valuable guns.
1: Okay, well there you go. You see, we we, we there's there's a market element even to this story. So um, as do you know who jeremy clarkson is by the way
0: jeremy clarkson
1: do you know have you heard of him oh there's a show called top gear and a derivative called Grand
0: oh, i've yeah. seen that show
1: so but the american version or the original because i think I, jeremy... I think i saw
0: the uk version uh i've youtube it a couple times because people were telling me about it years ago
1: so jeremy clarkson is is you either love him or hate him in this country i quite like him i think he's funny and i always like top gear um but he 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 has this column. Um, he has a couple of columns, and he always is very, you know, cutting is the word. But he's also very funny, and you know, it's a joke. And his reputation is just being cantankerous and, and annoyed with everybody. Um, so he made this joke about Meghan. Is Simon um, Cowell of UK? <laughs> no, no, no. He's, he's he's funny, unlike Simon Cowell. <laughs> um, anyway, so he um, made this joke comparing Meghan to um, or making sort of throwaway um comment about it being like that moment in game of thrones where they shout shame and 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 maybe throw a bit of feces at her right he he made some sort of <laughs> comment about that but it was clearly a joke but megan got very upset and then there was this huge like backlash and he has now been cancelled so amazon just cancelled his oh. second show so that I think they're going to air the next series but they're not going to do any more he apologized and that was why why do
0: y'all brits apologize for everything why not why don't own this shit you're like yeah throw feces at her that's funny well he
1: he apologized and then that wasn't good enough so then he apologized again and then megan basically said no i don't accept the apology because he's got too much baggage and and he's been such a shitbag for like in so many uh, different areas not just to me i'm not gonna i'm not gonna accept the apology so um I, th- I think I'm definitely Team Clarkson on this. I all mean, of it, these
0: people are gonna like end up on like Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire. They're just gonna suck up all of these shows that people actually wanna watch.
1: Well that's the thing, like like t- seriously, Jeremy Clarkson's show is the best thing on Amazon. I love it. It's hilarious. He did a derivative about farming, uh, called The Farm. He he bought a farm, and he tried to farm it himself. It was such a funny show. I learned more about farming than I've ever learned, and it was so entertaining, and that is now going to be killed because it upset Megan, and that that is kind of terrifying. I think that we can't have the Monty Python humor that we're so
0: famous for anybody, uh, uh, you know, for anymore. It's really quite sad. I think. well, you, you can't you can, but like here's the thing, Isabel. Like, there's this world of consensus, and and after Alex Jones was kicked off Twitter, I did a show called <laughs> "The Death of the Jester." yeah and that's that's what's happened is like there's a very important role for a jester in society um and you know everyone has come to the consensus that we kill the jesters now that's that's what we have to do which means that like for those of us who view ourselves as uh as jesters or in the in the role of the paradoxical in that way the only alpha that exists now is in transgression and that's really important to understand that like the only thing that one can do now, if you truly want to be humorful and yeah. edgy and poignant, yeah. is to transgress the rules that were transgressible. Like ten years ago, it was uh, it was de rigueur and cliche to transgress them. Now, transgressing them is the only uh, comedic alpha that exists. Yeah. So, like, and 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 by the way, if that's true, if I'm right about that, that means humor is going to get really racist real quick and it's going to be hard for a lot of people
1: well it's funny um and this is probably we probably have to close soon but um during communism
0: and you, you, you cringed you cringed when i said that why
1: because I, it reminded me of what i'm about to say um <laughs> so in poland during communism in terms of like the subversive press um, and the Sammersdads, there were all these cartoons that used to circulate, and and they were hilarious because in a cartoon you could tell like it, there were so many elements It was all plausibly deniable because there were lots of different layers to the joke, and depending on which side of the you know political spectrum you sat on, the joke was funny in different ways. But it was also like the filthiest time, like in terms of the some of the other jo- like so you'd have the political jokes, but you also had absolutely filthy basic like her sexist misogynist stuff and, and, and racist stuff, because it was, because once you're breaking those taboos, because like even ordinary things are so subversive, it, 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 I get I guess it elevates stuff that shouldn't really be considered taboo to the realms of the taboo, because they're both seen as so controversial that they equate to each other when really they don't equate. But that's what, what happens when you, when you t- stigmatize relatively, um, benign jokes that should be just allowed
0: in society yeah now 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 the transgression is so at hand and so if you want to transgress you just have to say something that was formerly benign that would have gotten a little chuckle or like made some people uncomfortable at a dinner table now yep. that joke is so transgressive that it is so inappropriate that either if, if if said appropriately like in the right context it's going to be so funny and so unexpected and put people so off guard, they won't know what to do. So like, I just think that people don't realize that you can kill, you can try to kill the jesters, but jesters will find a way. And, they will find a way. And, and there will be, it's the most transgressive, the most transgressive humor is the humor that will win nowadays. It's the place that you're not allowed to go. So that is the place that has to be gone.
1: Yeah, because it's all cyclical. And eventually, eventually, gener- what's the generation that comes after Z?
0: A, but is it A, is that what it's called? Double. Like, you have got Excel spreadsheet. Double A comes after. You. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's like you know number plates. Will, will we roll roll over to like I don't know but that next generation because i think z is still very woke right it's very um so, so social justice i think or is z getting a bit better i don't know
0: but i suspect I know. I mean, next- like i don't i don't think that there's any hope for z or the the younger millennials i've been advocating for just a gen z and millennial like young millennial genocide for years <laughs>
1: but yeah by the next generation that generation should be quite all right because it's it's it is generational so it's like in ABFAB, you know with, with the show with um uh Patsy and Adina right the, the joke is that they're like these children of the 60s and they have no no boundaries. They're like drunk all the time. But the daughter is super, super conservative because the role reversal is about the generational backlash against whatever your parents
0: were. It's only going to be true, Isabella, if we can get this to- testosterone stuff back under control.
1: In what sense? You want well, some like more men, men have like
0: the lowest testosterone levels in the history of humanity. You oh, you know what? People That's like, like testosterone shots that. at like the age of like seven.
1: Somebody was mentioning that on my um on my Discord today yeah. and saying that it's a real blind spot. Mm-hmm. And if if the rates continue to go down at the rate they are going down, then we are on an extinction pathway.
0: And that this is really a tra- testosterone, Huh? you just inject people with testosterone. Oh, no, but it's just it. oh, sperm
1: count. I was I got it wrong. It was sperm I count. I am
0: struck by the number of men who will like walk up to me and say like you grow such a beautiful beard. I can't grow a beard. Right. And they're not all Chinese people either. So
1: No, I was talking about sperm count, sorry, and fertility rates. Well, I'm just um, talking about
0: how beards are a great symbol of fertility and sperm and Okay. Well, you
1: know. Yes you're very hairy that's great i'm very i'm proud no, um no, but there's
0: there's a there, but it, you know there's there's a lot of weird things happening. I do wonder what the next generations are gonna do and it's uh it's it it is going to depend a lot i think on uh on you know the ability and willingness of these generations to be transgressive and to buck trends and uh to be punk rock if you will
1: yeah being punk punk being punk right now involves having um being married <laughs> having two like normal kids and believing in like
0: incredibly boring things I, like, the, like the, the rise of uh, like the re-rise <laughs> I of a, religion adult, god damn it the, you know you know i i honestly think that there is also a sort of problem with adulthood in that i think it's hard to find meaning in adulthood anymore uh i think i think it used to be that you had daily tasks you'd have to go and like you know feed the cows and the horses And nowadays, like there just isn't like the only thing you have is recreation, like on the weekends or something like that. There's nothing you have to do during the day. And I think it's really hard as uh, as young people becoming adults trying to figure out what they're going to do if it's not productive. Like, you know, that's why people like maybe go to, you know, move to Colorado or these other places where there are like lots of hiking and such. But that kind of thing is like it's very difficult for adults to find meaning.
1: Yeah, this is very um, Heidegger-esque, right? We have to have... Um, and frankel yeah once the economic problem is solved or we are so um we're so rich we don't even notice you know hardship anymore um we become sort of we self-sabotage to the actually there was a really interesting um thing i read i don't know if it's true or not apparently there was some experiment with mice maybe someone in the comments knows where um they gave these mice everything they wanted and they there was a phase where they were they i think it was called the beautiful mice they were like beautiful and big the, be- the beautiful
0: uh the beautiful ones i think is what the beautiful
1: is. ones right yeah. but then they they soon started to turn on each other and cannibalizing each other and, and sub- every like every
0: generation subsequently got smaller they bifurcated into groups of like woke mice and mean mice Yes. You know, it's like really like it's really an interesting experiment and they ran it numerous times and apparently it happened again and again and again uh, like if they gave them the conditions these similar conditions
1: so if that follows if if we're in that cycle
0: the beautiful ones they, they it, it, it bifurcated into a group that would always just groom themselves they would just spend their whole day grooming themselves that was it well that's the Kim Kardashians yes and the wokies yes
1: yeah, 're <laughs> the king, like, so the Instagram culture, like, that is the beautiful ones, isn't yeah. it?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh wow! So what comes next? When do we get? When do we turn on each other and start eating each other?
0: I don't know if they, they ate each other, but they like became yeah, smaller right. there was and smaller and or whatever. I don't know. They became more effete, and then they just stopped producing babies,
1: and then they just had no purpose in life, and they died,
0: uh-huh. and they and all went extinct.
1: extinct. Yeah, that's where we're going. Well, on that. that <laughs> which leads to a lack of meaning and i don't know because i mean but that's that was heidegger's point like that that it's not just economic materialist needs that the economic system has to satisfy it has to give people a sense of purpose and he called that dasein i think it was and said that um you have to have a search for meaning like you have to have meaning in in the economic model and if you don't have meaning it's um well, this is this is bad idea
0: a Viktor Frankl sort of uh, framework I think is very important. And I, I mean, this is the thing, like I read Victor Frankl in high school is the most important book I ever read. Kardashian.
1: Um, make loads of babies though. That's true. They,
0: they do make a babies. Um, but like, I, I think, I think that there's this notion that you have to be able to give yourself uh, a farm, if you will, like you have to give yourself tasks every day and they have to be meaningful. They can't be meaningless. You have to be producing value. Uh, and, and there's simulated versions of this, like with World of Warcraft uh, in video games, uh, which give you, I think a similar dopamine release to like doing daily tasks. But I think that's what like gamers have figured out, is that like doing gaming gives you, like doing real world tasks, that that dopamine release is the same dopamine release you get yeah. in video games and uh, that you get from accomplishments there. And that's- Yeah, uh, cause the-
1: not the- entire. Risk profile is it needs a challenge. Like we need continuous challenges to overcome. And very often, when people retire, like they have heart attacks and die. I mean, obviously they're older as well, but there is some element of like causality. With I think there is. I don't know. I'm, I might be making it up, but I'm pretty sure. Like you hear stories, like oh, sure, like no, just it's true. There was a
0: lot of a lot of heart attacks right after retirement. And with that, everyone, I want to, I want to say, I want to announce that I am actually uh, interviewing for Jordan Peterson's role. Uh, i talking <laughs> to God next week, uh, seeing if I can take it over. So uh, I think we're, I think that's it. Are we done? Yeah.
1: yeah. On know. that bombshell, we are definitely done. So thank you very much. We're going to come back next week. Hopefully Michael will join us. Um, I make no promises because he's busy, but um, hopefully he will. And on that yeah. note, bye. Take care, everyone.
0: Bye. Love you all.